Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith, and today I'm going to take you into uh, a little different world. Certainly, it was for me. Many of you may have done this, but it was the very first time that I had actually attended an opera. My dear companion, Gail Amariano, and a good friend of ours, Beth Gandy, said that I would enjoy this, so we took off for the Chattanooga Memorial Auditorium on October the 22nd and heard what's known as a concert-only opera. There was not a stage play, but the seven to eight singers were absolutely awesome, and uh, I was very proud of myself, and they were as well, that I did not just burst out with a bravo or inappropriate laughter or, or singing myself. I started looking up stuff about opera in general and found some interesting statistics. And for those of you opera buffs, don't hold me to this. This is just from a couple of sources that uh, have, have listed some of the most famous operas. And there may be, in your minds, uh, some omissions. But uh, if you'll bear with me, Let's, let's take a look at opera in general. Supposedly, the first real opera, uh, which by definition is a dramatic work in one or more acts set to music by singers and instrumentalists. The first one was around 1607 by Monteverdi, and that opera was L'Orfeo, L-O-R-F-E-O. And then as you begin to look at some of these other ones, and, and these are not necessarily in order until uh, you get to the top four or five, uh, but they have Wagner doing D-D-I-E, Valkyrie, W-A-L-K-U-R-E, around 1870. And I actually had heard of this particular uh, theme called Ride of the Valkyries. Uh, I couldn't recognize it if you asked me to on a Jeopardy show, but it's it's supposedly one of the best-known operatic pieces ever. Then you have Handel, and he wrote Gisilio, G-I-S-I-L-I-O, Cesare, C-E-S-A-R-E, around 1724, and it's three-plus hours in length. Now, let me step back one second and tell you that with these operatic performances, as uh, any of you know who have followed it, these are going to normally be in uh, Latin, and in order to know what the singers are actually saying, there is a, at least when I went, a large overhead screen that gives you the English translation. Thank goodness I wouldn't have been able to tolerate 15 minutes without that, but it was wonderful. Moving on to another famous opera, Verdi, V-E-R-D-I, uh, did Falstaff around 1893, and this has been classified as a glorious work of unbridled joy, apparently a comedic opera which millions of folks have enjoyed over the years. Wagner did another one known as D or Die, D-I-E, Meistersinger, M-E-I-S-T-E-R-S-I-N-G-E-R, von Neuenberg, N-U-O-N-B-E-R-G, 
1868. And unless I'm mistaken, they are stating this is the longest opera at about five and one half hours in length. No way that I or any friends that I have are going to be able to sit through that. Then we have uh, Verdi again with the famous Don Carlos in 1867, another masterpiece according to many, many experts. Tchaikovsky jumps in with one entitled Eugene, E-U-G-E-N-E, Oregon, O-R-E-G-I-N, 1879, considered by many opera buffs as one of the best lyrical scores ever. And then, here we go again, Verdi is back with another famous one that I'd actually heard of, La Traviata, L-A, second word, T-R-A-V-I-A-T-A, in 1853. And according to many of the experts, they're stating it could be the most perfect opera ever written with heart-rending swells of harmony. I love how these critics describe these performances. We're back to Wagner again, who comes in with Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, and Isolde, I-S-O-L-D-E, 1865, a psychodrama called the world's first modern opera. Not sure what modern versus old is. And then here comes Verdi again. He's just all over the place. Otello, O-T-E-L-L-O, 1887, featuring that famous character Desdemona. Mozart steps up to the plate with Don Giovanni in 1787. This, of course, is the famous Don Juan and a lot of comedic uh, personalities in this one. Puccini, Giacomo Puccini, Tosca, 1900. Perhaps one of the top three or four most famous and appreciated operas first performed in Rome. Then Puccini comes along with the one that we saw in Chattanooga, La Boheme, L.A., second word, B-O-H-E-M-E, The Bohemian, written in 1896, as perfect as an opera can be again, a master class in storytelling, according to the experts, a Romeo and Juliet type story, if you will. Mozart apparently is given credit in many experts' opinion for the uh, probably most uh, popular opera, The Marriage of Figaro, 1786, a masterpiece of comedy, and as I say, maybe the number one in the world. I didn't realize till I was reading about all this that the so-called Barber of Seville became a prequel to Figaro, and it didn't even make the top 20 list. The most operas were written by a Wenzel, W-N-Z-E-L, Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R, at 166. Goodness. Puccini did 124, and Mozart, as famous as he was, only had 22, and Bach, surprisingly, had none. If we begin to look at famous opera singers, uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of some of these. You're way ahead of me, uh, but 
I have actually heard and listened to performances by the best-known Luciano Pavarotti, P-A-V-A-R-O-T-T-I, who lived from 1935 to 2007. The Italian tenor was also part of the three tenors, along with Placido Domingo and Jose Carreras. Carreras was from Spain. They apparently began singing together in 1990 in Rome on the eve of the World Cup Finals. Interesting mix there of opera and sports. Said the global TV audience was over 800 million. The recording of the concert actually became the best-selling classical album of all time. The last performance for this group was in September of 2003, and Pavarotti then became a significant, successful crossover artist and became known as the King of the High Seas. That's capital C for the level that he could reach. He was active over 50 years before he passed. Another one I'd heard of, actually when I was much younger, was Enrico Caruso. Lived from 1873 to 1921, another marvelous Italian tenor who became a lyric and dramatic star. Uh, a lyric tenor has a warm, graceful voice, strong, but not, not heavy and overburdening. And dramatic is quite powerful and heroic, and he could cover all of those types of ranges. According to what I read, he actually made 247 released recordings from uh, 1902 to 1920. Wonderful voice. Then we have that voice that many of us have enjoyed, Andrea Bocelli, B-O-C-E-L-L-I, another Italian tenor who became completely blind at age 12 after a brain hemorrhage from a football accident. He's now 65 still performing wonderful crossover music. People are listening to him all the time. He has done nine operas and has sold over 75 million albums. His best-selling holiday album of 2009 was entitled My Christmas, and he also holds the Guinness record for having the top three positions on the U.S. classical album charts at the same time time. If we move to the female side, uh, many of you, of course, have heard of Maria Callas, C-A-L-L-A-S, who lived from 1923 to 77. She was a United States citizen, uh, but uh, a Greek background, beautiful soprano known as the queen of the bel canto, B-E-L-C-A-N-T-O style of singing, which are wide-ranging vocals dramatic interpretations. She has also been called La Divina, meaning the Divine One. And you may have heard of her as a partner to the famous Aristotle Onassis in the early 1960s. Another outstanding operatic star was Joan Sutherland, Australian. She was Dame Joan Sutherland. Three, had a three-octave range she was also known as a coloratura, 
C-O-L-O-R-A-T-U-R-A, which represents an, or, an elaborate ornamentation of a vocal melody, especially in an opera by a soprano. Another outstanding singer was Renee Fleming, 1959. She's still alive, an American soprano with five Grammys to her credit. She's been a recipient of the National Medal of Arts. She has a wide range of performing, including theater and film, as well as opera. And there will be a special on the Kennedy Center Honors to listen, uh, see this, uh, because she is one of the recipients. The last that I'll mention is Jesse Norman, alive from 1945-2019, one of the greatest of all time. She was an African-American singer described as a grand mansion of sound. She sang at the Met, Paris, Chicago, London. She sang at Reagan's and Clinton's second inaugurations. She also performed at Queen Elizabeth's 60th birthday in 1996 and the 96th Olympics opening. Her rendition of Amazing Grace at the Kennedy Center in 1995 is one you have to watch where she is honoring Sidney Poitier. Absolutely one of the most beautiful versions of my favorite song. And I encourage anyone who hasn't been to an opera to try it at least once. I was raised essentially on big band and classical music on those big LPs and would sit around and listen to those all day long. And then after starting life as a private practitioner of medicine in the uh, late 70s, I began uh, broadening out my musical, uh, I guess, ear, and I was learning to enjoy all types of music. And uh, I can't believe that I've missed out on this uh, wonderful world of music and opera, but I'm so delighted now that I've, I've been initiated in this. And yes, an old country boy who loves uh, country music and folk and, and all of this can change his ways. The only thing I honestly wish for is someday that I could play my harmonica with a symphony orchestra. Now until next time, a couple of quotes to leave you with. No good opera plot can be sensible, for people do not sing when they are feeling sensible. This comes from W.H. Auden, A-U-D-E-N, a British-American poet who obviously didn't like opera. And then finally, opera is where a guy gets stabbed in the back, and instead of dying, he sings. From Robert Benchley. Folks, I hope you enjoy all of the music in your life. If you haven't seen an opera, take the opportunity to go. If you're in our area in East Tennessee, Chattanooga and Knoxville have these uh, almost year-round, and you need to go see one. And as I say to each and every one of you, I hope you have a safe and healthy day, and I'll see you a little further up the road.